Hello and welcome to the TNN show. This is episode number six. Uh, for those who are listening to the show on audio, please share to a lot of your friends and everyone who listen to it on Anchor, Spotify, and the likes. For those of you watching on YouTube, please like, subscribe, and also share with your friends. Today, we're going to be introducing a new member to the team, and that's Nakai. Hello, Nakai. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. Okay, yeah. I'm really excited. <laughs> okay, thank you. And of course, the the old Ngoni has been here for a while. Hello, hey, guys. Okay, yeah. So we're going to be talking about Tottenham. Tottenham is the first topic of the day. Can Tottenham challenge for the Premier League, and what do they need to do to get it right? I think it's fair to give it to Ngoni because he seems to be the only one here who actually likes Tottenham a little bit. <laughs> I don't really like Tottenham. I'm a Man United fan. Uh, but can they really win the league? I don't think so. Because they've I'm not really convinced by by their performances so far. It feels like they're just grinding out results a lot and they're not really putting out teams like what you like what we've been accustomed to from the previous title winning sides, you know. Uh for instance, two, three seasons ago when uh, Man City won it. They they were really blowing teams away. Last season, Liverpool was just blowing teams away. So I still haven't seen that from Tottenham as of yet. Okay, uh, I will take that as as a no from you. So this kind of makes it a little boring. I, I hope Nakai has got something else to say. Uh, what do you think <laughs> when it comes to Tottenham? Um. Okay, to make it a bit interesting, I'll try and speak on both sides. So, firstly, I'll speak on, I don't, to agree with Ngoni, I don't think they can win the title, mainly because, especially at the stage where this, the season is now, you have the likes of Southampton in the top four. I mean, what kind of, you know, it's sort of hard to try and make those def- definite um, predictions now. So... I think, yes, granted, they have been playing well. They won their last game against West Brom, um, which is good, but I'm not too sure if it's enough for them to, for us to conclude that, yes, they can be title contenders or they can do enough to win the league. However, on the other side, um, playing well, you never know, it might instill confidence in the players. They might feel like, okay, we're getting into into the into the groove now. We can improve. We can continue winning games, and and who knows? Maybe next month we might be saying something different, and Tottenham might retain their position in the top four. But personally, my opinion is, I I, I don't think that they have a chance to win the league. And you also had um, pundits like. Uh, Jamie Carragher, who was who was speaking on the same topic as well, he was asked the same question, and he was saying he still thinks it's it's a Liverpool Man City race. It's not even considering the likes of Tottenham. So um, at this stage, I think that's where people's main focus is is on the 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 top, the big ones, the big teams, the likes of Liverpool, Man City, maybe Leicester. But who knows? A month from now, um, Tottenham might be. At a, at a place where we can we can say that they have a chance of winning the league. But personally, I don't think so yet. 
But guys, I think we have to consider the defense because looking at the uh, Tottenham defense, uh, they've been grinding out wins. They're not considering a lot of goals. Of course, there was a period when they were considering goals. But after that match versus West Ham, I think they've made an adjustment because if you look at their stats, they're now attacking a, a lot less after that West Ham game a lot less shots, a lot less goals scored in their games, and they're also considering a lot less. Don't you think this improvement in their defense is going to help them help their chances when it comes to challenging for the title? And yeah, let's let's start talking about their defense. Uh, I'll start with you, Nakai. What do you, the improvement in their defense, isn't that going to help them challenge? I, I think that, yeah, that is a good point, actually, that you've raised the defense, because if you help to um, keep more clean sheets, that also helps as well. And then I think because at the end of the day, um, it also comes down to the GD, the goal difference as well. So then um, you also need to take that into consideration when we're looking at um, winning the league because we've seen what the difference in GD can do um, in deciding who wins the league as well. So I, I, I think that that is a very interesting point actually. And of, of course, now speaking in relation to their attack, Ngoni, are you not sleeping on Son and Kane? You mean Son and Kane have been on fire? Are you saying if these guys just keep on scoring these mega goals, lots of goals, they can't have a chance? I'm not saying win it, but a chance. Well, if if uh, if Son and Kane can maintain the form, then yeah, they do have a chance. But I, I still feel like they need to get Bale in the mix as well, scoring goals, you know, providing assists. And apart from Kane and Son, who really can Liverpool, I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Spurs look up to, to to score goals, you know. If Kane goes on injury or if Son goes on injury, then then what? Then what? That's the major concern for me. Like, their squad doesn't have depth. I, I get where you're coming from. That's, when, that's why I was talking about Son and Kane, how impressive they have been so far considering that Gareth Bell hasn't come to the party yet and he looks like he's getting there slowly but surely. He's getting fitness, getting a lot more minutes game by game. He's actually scored a winner when they played Brighton, is it two weeks ago? He scored the winner in that game. So he could be integral in this challenge. We're trying to put, of course, we are the ones who are making this story up. No one from Tottenham has come out and said, we're going to win the Premier League. We're just trying to make a case for them. Yeah, they have been impressive, I have to say. Uh, I've really been impressed more by, by Harry Kane. I think he scored his 150th goal, if I'm not mistaken, in the Premier League. I think it's the fastest. So I think he has what it takes to go on and beat, you know, Alan Shearer on his record. Yeah, he's, he's actually on course to do that. And Swan um, has also been impressive, I have to say. Uh, inside, cutting back inside the... Um, yeah, I think uh, a good partnership. Okay, great. So just before we move on from this, I'm going to ask you guys which position you're going to give Tottenham at the end of the season. I'll start with Nakai. Where are Tottenham going to finish? I think fifth. Not That's even Champions prediction. League. Not even Champions League. Fifth. I think they're just going to make it just fifth. Fifth. Uh, I think they'll finish fourth because I think that, you know, 
all Mourinho teams know how to defend, and I think defense will be very key for them, conceding uh, less goals, which means they'll probably draw a lot of games uh, come the end of the season. And I think they'll just do enough for fourth for me. When uh, before the season began, I put them fourth, but they've impressed me so much in some of the things that they've been doing. I think they might actually finish third behind Liverpool and maybe Chelsea. They'll finish third behind Liverpool and Chelsea. Any disagreements, guys? Chelsea. Yes, Liverpool and Chelsea. So, so you're saying City will win the title? No, no, no. I'm saying that they're going to finish third between uh, behind Liverpool and Chelsea, and maybe Man City will come fourth. Oh, behind Liverpool and Chelsea. Yes. Oh, okay, okay. No, I get it. Then Man City might, might be fourth. Interesting prediction. Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting prediction. Man City suck. Man City suck. I've said this before. I'll say it again. You know they suck. Okay, now let's address this Hakim Ziyech uh, thing that's in the in the nest at the moment. Hakim Ziyech is come on, but he hasn't played a, a lot of games. To be fair, he's played four games and started two in the Premier League, but he's provided three assists and a goal. <clears throat> And is giving about two key passes a game. He's getting fouled 1.3 times a game. This is like these are key stats for an attacking player in the Premier League. You get these good stats in attacking positions. It's always going to be a benefit to your team. Chelsea were lacking a lot of balance in pre- before he started playing. Of course, granted, most of it was defensively, but he's come on and he's looked so good and so great for Chelsea. Can he now? be the one who elevates Chelsea to that next level where last season without the transfer window with the transfer ban they were a typical top four team just fine for the top four can you take take them to the next step where they try to win the Premier League can they challenge for the Premier League this season with a player like Hakim Ziyech Nakai this is this is yours I'll give you the, the opportunity to answer this <laughs> right so I think um Judging off of the game against um, Sheffield that was played this weekend, there's no doubt that Ziyech is top-class player. He played exceptionally well. Um, and I think he also, um, in total, created six chances in the game. That was more than anyone on the pitch. So he's, he's an asset to the Chelsea um, squad. I think the only thing is to see if he's consistent with it because that's the only thing that counts at the end of the day is if a player can consistently um, perform this well. And I think that's what's going to determine um, where Chelsea finished at the end of the season. Hopefully top, that's the, that's the hope. But um, yeah, he's top class, exceptionally, ex- exceptional player. And even Frank, Frank has said, you know, it did take time for him to um, adjust, get into, the, get into the swing of things and fit into the team. You know, you were saying people expect um, the players to first day already be banging in goals. You know, it doesn't really work that way. I think we had to give him time. And I think he's had that time. He also had his injury. He's come back from his injury. It looks like he's fit. looks like he's ready to go. looks like he's settled in. He also says he's comfortable at Chelsea. He's adjusted to the Premier League, how everything works. So... I, I have high hopes for him and I'm I'm optimistic. I think he can do great things for the club. Well, I have to say, great job at trying to hide the fact that you support Chelsea. That was a great <laughs> job. Okay. 
let's give it to someone who's less biased uh, by the fact, who's a bit more objective. I'll give it to you, Ngoni. Hakim Seish, when you're looking at him, what do you see? Uh, uh, to be honest, he's kind of given that man a hand first arrived. I feel like now they play better with him in midfield. Uh, I was really impressed by, by his game uh, over the weekend. He created chances for his teammates. Uh, you know, I think he also assisted two, two assists. Uh, he's very good on the ball. I also saw him taking a corner. Um, and yeah, you know, I'm not really convinced with, with, with Havertz, though. So. Um, I don't think he fits well in that Chelsea team. I don't know what uh, Nakai thinks about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I have to, I have to agree. The Cabot hasn't completely convinced me of his um, potential in the team yet. Judging from the games that he's played, and yeah, just some of. Some of the silly mistakes that he makes. Granted, every player makes mistakes, but sometimes it's the mistakes. Those are mistakes he shouldn't be making. Now, maybe he also needs time to settle into the team and to adjust to Premier League and things like that. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not yet too convinced by him yet. He had a good season uh, last year at 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 uh, at, uh, at Leverkusen. So. What tapes should Lampard take to to properly fit him in? Because surely for a 90 million pound player, he has to be playing games. You can't have a player of that quality sitting on the bench. The quality is there, but it's just a matter of trying to get the best out of him. So what steps should Frank Lampard take to, to fit him into the squad? Um, uh, I think when it comes to steps they should take, I think he hasn't done too badly. I mean, I'm talking about Frank Lampard in the way he's managed Kai Havertz. He's given him a bit of game time because he needs to be on the pitch, of course. He hasn't performed the way we've expected him to perform because I think everyone expected him to come in and just light the Premier League up. There are some deficiencies in Kai Havertz's game, if you look at it at the moment. He's, he, he seems to be a little bit too weak for the league. Maybe in Germany, it wasn't as physical as the Premier League. So he, I think he's going to need some time to adjust to the fact that this is a, a more physical league, uh, a faster league. I think he's, he's actually said it himself that when you're in the Premier League, you think you've got time to make a pass. You want to think about it. Then the next thing, you've already lost the ball. It's so fast in the Premier League. So maybe the more he plays, the more he adjusts to the league, he'll start getting better and better because I think as we've all said, yeah, you can see that the talent is there. You can see that the talent is there. Okay, yeah, I agree with you. Very true, yeah. Okay, very true. Okay, let's move on from Mavis. Let's just speak about uh, one more thing. We have to talk about, you know, there, there, there's a Manchester United manager, a, a very poor manager, not a good manager. He should be sacked to be fair, but he, he brought up something that was quite fair. Uh, he was complaining about the fixture pileup where players are having mm -hmm. to play a lot of games in a very, very short amount of time. Uh, how best can the Premier League make sure that they're able to protect these players? Because at the end of the day, 
these players are assets for the Premier League. Without these players, I think the Premier League sucks. I'll give Ngoni first chance to defend his beleaguered poor manager. <laughs> well, this is an issue that goes back, you know, four or five years down. Uh, I think when we look at the pile of fixtures that Premier League teams have during the first season, it's it's really ridiculous because you, you look at other leagues like La Liga and and and, and the Bundesliga, they, they always take a break during the first season and that gives uh, the players time to recover and freshen up and when they come back in January, they're freshed up and then when we enter February and all of a sudden we're back in the Champions League, that's why you see mostly the Bundesliga clubs and the La Liga clubs have more success in the Champions League than so they really need to weigh the situations in, in, in the Premier League. For the case of Man United, it, like, it was really unfair, I think, during this weekend because we had a match on, on Wednesday. Then the team only flew back into England on Thursday. Then we had a one o'clock fixture on a Saturday. So there was really no time for players to recover. And I think we actually incurred a few a few injuries. Rashford, Luke Shore, and uh not sure about the third person, but there was a third person there. So it's 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 really ridiculous to be honest. I agree with Ole. Okay. So Nakai, how do you think they should protect the players from all these fixtures? How do we keep them healthy? How do we keep them fit? Well, I think um, it's not just an issue Man United has. I think also Klopp was also complaining about it at some point as well with his um, Liverpool squad. And then you also have the issue of some of the players um, now going to international break as well. And then you might have injuries there. Then when they come back and play for the club, I mean, it just, yeah. So I think um, maybe, I'm not too sure how practical it would be for um, those who are <clears throat> scheduling the fixtures to take into consideration those teams that do have are in more than one league, so that are playing in the Premier League and also have Champions League games, etc. To take that into consideration and try and try their best as best as they can, because it's hard to please everyone. Because I mean, every manager has their players' best interest at heart. So, and those are the most important people. So it's hard for um, the FA to try and make everyone happy. But I think maybe taking into consideration those um, teams, the likes of Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, all of that, when scheduling in um, the fixtures. But I mean, it's something that, it's, a, it's an ongoing thing and it's something that clubs have just had to um, go through and push through and, Yes, you incur injuries and, you know, it's it's tough, but I mean, you just have to do what you have to do at the end of the day. Okay, I, I, I understand. I've got, and I think this is obviously going to be very unpopular because football, people don't like change in, in any way or form. You can even look at the VAR, the argument started in 2010. I think we only got it in 2018 or something like that. I had an idea. I got this idea from, from rugby. 
where they've got a set of laws where when these players are playing for their clubs, they can't play in four consecutive matches. After a player, in more than four consecutive matches, I mean, after a player plays four consecutive matches, the manager, the coach, whoever it is, they are forced to bench this player and rotate them with someone else. So let's just take, for example, where in the Premier League, we've got a rule, okay, maybe four is too little for the Premier League, where a player can only play six consecutive starts or consecutive games in the seventh match, they are not allowed to play, they have to rest. So the managers are forced to use their squads better. So the players that are always on the bench also get to be here because they know at some time or some point they, they're going to have the chance to play and everyone gets rotated and we get to be able to rest a few players. I don't know what you think if the Premier League would take a rule like that where it encourages coaches to use the, the bulk of their squad, it encourages coaches to use everyone in the squad and rest players in, in, key, in key areas, key, key games. I'll give I'll give this to Ngoni first because he, of course he's supporting Ole on this on this argument. Well, uh, I don't think your 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 method is 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 practical because when you look at the Premier League, so much money has been invested in it. You know the broadcasting rights, sponsorship deals, and all that. So fans all around the world really expect to see top-class football being played by world-class players, you know, every weekend. So you really have to play your best players if they're fit, to be honest. You can't be benching players just to give fringe players some, some game time. Uh, personally, I don't think it's practical for the league. For the quality of the league, it's just, it's not practical. Okay, Nakai? Yeah, I see um, where Ngon is coming from. Although I do think that um, the idea is a good one. And I think already managers do try and sort of rotate um, their team and their players as well to give maybe the, the youngsters a chance or to put on some fresh legs to um, prevent injuries also. And I do think it 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 is a good um, idea and a good suggestion. Um, as for the fans, um, the issue that Ngoni brought up, I do see um, where he's coming from with that. But um, at the end of the day, it is the players who are playing. It's the um, health of the players and, you know, that matters at the end of the day. So, and if, if you're a fan, you should be a fan of all your players. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yes, granted, they are um, the popular um, players in Man United, the likes of, of Rashford, Martial, for example. But sometimes you do have to um, rotate the team to preserve um, those top players for your bigger games, which, which um, I think the fans would appreciate because they do want to watch um, their teams do well in those bigger games. If it's like, for example, a Manchester derby with Man City, of course you want to see your top players go against Man City. So in order to see that, you do um, need to accept that if Man United is playing like West Brom or Burnley or something, you're not going to see Rashford on the pitch. And I think that logic makes sense in that sense. Okay, yeah, so I get where Ngon was coming from. 
he talked about sponsorships. He talked about uh, how people want to see the best players all the time. But uh, I wanted to bring up this question. In fact, uh, in, in the area where we talk about these sponsorships and these big bosses of these big clubs and the Premier League, because I actually think, yes, they do force these good players to be on the pitch all the time because they make, make, they make money for them. But doesn't it start to show uh, a sequence or a, a sign of events where it shows that these Premier League club bosses, these Premier League owners, the chief executives, don't actually really care about the players' health. Their end goal is just the money that these players are going to bring in. If you play for the Premier League, you play, you, you, you get us money. After you get us money and you're no longer Premier League level, we just throw you aside. We we'll wait for the next player. We don't treat them well as well. They make us money. And these owners keep getting rich and rich and rich, but they never care about the health of the players. What do you think, God? Uh, that's why they are 490,000 pounds. That's a ridiculous amount of money, you know. So at the end of the day, it's just business. And they also have to protect their own uh, personal interests as, 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 as club owners. So <sighs> it's just business. That's what I think. Yeah, no, of course. I'm saying, yes, it is business. They are there to make money. But isn't this now getting to a point where it's now greed over ju just the business principle of making money? And they're getting greedy now. You look at what they're doing in, uh, in, the, in, in England when it comes to the Premier League, where they've put these pay-per-view prizes where people have to, to pay money to watch just one match. I think they have to pay like 15 pounds. That's an equivalence of something like 20 US dollars per game. I think we also have to look at the environment we're in right now, you know, with the coronavirus and yes. all that. So I think the pay-per-view suggestion was a way for, for the clubs to make money to try and compensate because right now they're not generating revenue of ticket sales, you know? So I think it's a way to try and cushion themselves as the clubs to try and make some more money because we don't have fans in the stadiums at the moment. Of so course. it's really a tricky time right now. Okay, no, I understand what you're saying. It's a tricky time, but that's why I'm asking, isn't this sort of greedy? Because the, the guy they're asking to pay 20 US dollars for a match to probably isn't going to work at all because 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 there's been a second lockdown in Britain. He can't go to work, so he's not earning. And they're asking him to pay an extra 20 US dollars when he wants to watch his team play. I don't know what you think about that, Nakai. Are they greedy or or something like that? I think it's I think it's quite tricky because um that's like the politics behind football, I guess. Um the things that go on <clears throat> behind the scenes. Like when Gwani was saying, they are sort of um, trying to compensate and make money up for what they lost during the coronavirus and during the lockdown, not um, being able to have the fans and all of that. So I think they're trying to come up with ways to um, do that. And in doing so, it does sort of look like it's a bit um, on the greedy side, 
but I think you, we also have to understand um, where they're coming from and where the clubs are coming from and that they've also um, struggled as well as the, the fans, the players themselves, like you said, are also struggling. They're not um, making their um, salary as usual and try uh, like trying to pay for something that you would have just normally um, enjoyed is also a big ask as well. So I think it's just unprecedented times for everyone. I think it's just tough for everyone. Okay, no, I understand. I think that's why in the world there are other people who are saying that football is losing its soul and, you know, all that conspiracy stuff and, you know, for lack of a better word, that conspiracy shit. Uh, I would like to say thank you to you guys for joining me today on this episode. It's been a wonderful episode. It's been great having you here. We wish to have you again next week or if next week is too far, we can have you again here tomorrow and we talk about something else. It's been a great episode. So guys, I just uh, encourage you to like, share and subscribe this video on YouTube. If you're listening on, on the audio podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, just share it to your friends. Give it to as many as, uh, as many people as you know. The channel is growing day by day, week by week. So I'd like to say thank you. This has been a wrap. It's been a wrap. It's been this week's episode. Goodbye. <laughs>